Hello people and welcome to the People Building Podcast where today I am joined by the most inspiring David Richmond. So uh, David has a really challenging past and the life that he had doesn't quite add up to the life that he's got now if I'm being completely honest because he comes from a very chaotic upbringing with a very elderly dad and a very young and perhaps somewhat dysfunctional mum and he really wasn't raised you know he wasn't raised in a way that a young person should be raised and so it really looked like the odds were stacked against him and for a while they were uh david as well as surviving chaos ended up being one of those people on a journey to make everybody else happy and that was his way of fulfilling that need for love that he'd actually missed out on as a result of having the parents that he'd had so he like many, um, went on to this martyrish uh, journey in life of finding the weak and wounded and doing what he could to save them in order to feel that sense of love and connection and respect and all of the things that ultimately human beings need from one another. And guess what? It did not work out too well for him. So David ended up being a subject, a victim of domestic violence. So there are some mentions of that during this podcast. And uh, and the interesting thing to note with this is, of course, when we think about domestic violence, we usually think about men as being perpetrators rather than the victims. And actually, in this instance, the boot was on the other foot. Things made a drastic turnaround for David when a good friend of his had the foresight to point out that he had this pattern of looking for trouble and then complaining when he found it. And actually this friend, even though uh, the conversation was I'm sure very uncomfortable because the friend was saying, I've kind of had enough of you. Actually, this was a real wake up call. This was the start of him turning around his circumstances so going through something very negative and actually it putting him on a different trajectory that led to a much more positive life overall. So he cleaned up his self-talk because we know how damaging that can be. He cleaned up his self-talk and he began to identify what his own patterns were in how he might be causing trouble for himself sometimes and actually started to take value in the lessons that life was offering him because as he says, life lessons only mean something if you actually put them into action, if you actually do something with the lesson, otherwise it's just information. But if you want that information to mean something, you actually put it into practice in some way. And that he did. And he has done so magnificently, magnificently, spectacularly. Um, and this is a man who, as a result, I believe this is his rocket fuel. This is what gives this man so much energy to do as much as he does in his life. So I have great pleasure in sharing with you my conversation with the wonderful and very, very focused and energised David Richmond. Perfect. Hello 
everybody. Welcome to the People Building Podcast. And today I am joined by the fabulous David Richmond. And he has got, well, more than one story to share with us, I feel, having looked at uh, the various bits and pieces that make up his biography. So I'm sure that today we're not just going to be entertained, but I feel already that there's going to be some very useful and important lessons for us to take from this conversation. And this one, I, I think it's going to take some dissecting. So without further ado, uh, welcome, David. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, Gemma. Nice to be here. I really appreciate it. Not at all. So let me get you um, telling us a little bit of your backstory. Where are you now? Where have you been? Where did you grow up? What's the what's the beginnings of life? What did that look like for you? Sure. So uh, I live in, my wife and I split our time between Las Vegas and Southern California. Nice. So Many places. They're both great places. They have their benefits and their drawbacks, but uh, I don't know. I, I consider Las Vegas more home. It, okay. It's not what most people think, uh, you know, just the strip and glitz and glamour and a bunch of degenerates. It's actually a really wonderful place and very outdoorsy. I love the heat. Yeah. And I do a lot of training for events and and i prefer to do it in the heat uh-huh. and uh, las vegas has a lot of heat so nice. uh so yeah so i i i love it i, I love being here in vegas easy did you grow easy, up easy there is, is that where you're from originally well yeah that's a good question because growing up is a is an interesting term so i grew up in southern california okay. um but i grew up in a household that uh my parents were 38 years age and difference oh wow so, Yeah. So when I was born, I I had a mom who was 21 and really didn't uh, know that she hated kids. Mm -hmm. And I had a dad who was 59, Mm -hmm. who I'm sure at that point in his life really didn't want kids. Yeah. Um, So my sister and I grew up at a, in a household that was very uh, not friendly, not happy, not nurturing, not guiding. It was not, it was not any of that. And when I was 18, I embarked to head out to uh, college and um like in a movie but it's the truth uh, my car broke down in vegas i was 18 years old and within uh three days i was robbed at gunpoint of everything I owned. right and i didn't really have anybody to call or anything to do so i i had less than a dollar in my pocket and no job and nobody to call and was homeless for a little bit and then finally strapped my way into uh into growing up so yeah it was tough it was it was a it was a tough shock but uh, yes long answer but yes I I actually grew up in Vegas wow with a bumpy start so you mentioned that you you have a sister is she older or younger than you uh she was a year and a half older she passed away about 15 years ago from brain cancer which is one of the kind of tougher things that I went through that helped uh help me work on a project that that we'll probably talk a little bit about today okay okay I'm very sorry for your loss that must have been a very challenging situation to work through yeah you know everybody goes through loss and 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 uh one loss is not better or worse than the other they're they're all difficult I mean you can't imagine what it might be like to lose a parent you're close to or a child you're close to uh, a friend I mean they're all just tragic and horrible when she passed away I had plenty of time to grieve that because she had uh, terminal brain cancer and that took a couple of years to to take her. So you get some time to work through your issues and talk to each other, whatever. But 
I didn't realize till years later that I didn't have to grieve losing her. I had to grieve losing the one person on the earth that cared about what I was like as a child. And yeah. we had that childhood together. Nobody else knew me like she did. Nobody yeah. else could have. And um, so I had to grieve that, you know, that that's a different kind of loneliness. So everybody has their, their particular type of grief. And like I, I've said, none, none is worse than the other or easier or harder than the other. So you, you landed yourself in Vegas, you are 18 years old. Mm-hmm. what what was the first thing that kind of um well what was the next significant thing that happened was it getting into work you said you were on the streets there for a while which sounds kind yeah. of chaotic so yeah what happened there it was pretty chaotic because I wasn't uh a, a smart savvy wise street wise you know right. uh, uh well-equipped 18 year old I was very very immature I had no idea what the heck would the world had to offer like I said I grew up in a house where you didn't really talk to your parents and your parents didn't talk to you and um, I didn't really know much so I learned the hard way but but what I leaned into was uh, survival which meant work and a lot of work so I worked every job you could imagine as many jobs as I could find um, Mm -hmm. uh, and just figured out a way to survive so that was that gave me some good tools but um, you know it didn't really it wasn't a path to follow. It was more like I'll find a, you know, I'm in a hole. I gotta get, I gotta dig myself out of that hole. Yeah, and yeah. Um, I became really good at that, uh, digging okay. myself out of holes that were either self-created or that were a result of circumstance. And um, I think that was a pattern that I fell into, which was like mm-hmm. I was really comfortable being chaotic, really comfortable having problems, okay. really comfortable um, being too busy to worry about myself. And Mm -hmm. that led me down not the greatest path. Okay. So whilst that was happening, when you were in the thick of it, were you um, just, uh, were you feeling like in victim mode? Were you blaming? Were you just feeling as if you were sort of nose to the grindstone? Where was your head at during that period of time? Yeah, that's a great question because it was probably a combination of two of the things you said. Uh, One, I figured, well, okay. I got to work harder than everybody else because mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I had come from such a low, low point. Mm-hmm. And also now I'm behind people who have an education and, and other things. So mm-hmm. I've got to work harder and smarter, um, yeah. which wasn't a problem. Uh, you know, it's just, mm-hmm. I guess that's genetically uh, who I was. That wasn't a problem. I was, I think, developing a little bit of a chip on my shoulder that it's me against mm-hmm. the world. Um, okay. You know, how many bad things could happen to me over and over and over. And, um, you, you know, and so I, I wouldn't say I was, uh, uh had a lot of self-pity, mm. but I certainly had a bit of a chip on my shoulder. Okay. And it was like, everything was a struggle. Everything was a fight. Everything was a problem that I had to overcome. Yeah. And that just became something that I became super comfortable with. And so okay. as I started to really land on my feet, and mm. when I say land on my feet, I mean, we could fast forward 15 years later, I'm running a $120 million in revenue business for a major wall street firm with no education right yeah. so wow. I, I was very successful yeah but on the on the other side of it um i, I was i was a wreck I, everything in my life was a problem like mm-hmm. every relationship was a yeah. horrible relationship every decision i made um what was was one out of chaos and um i i uh i just seemed to encounter every problem that 
one could encounter and mm -hmm. it it really put me in a bad place yeah and where was that coming from was it you not thinking things through was it attracting the wrong kind of people into your life and not you know maybe not filtering out uh the people that didn't have your best interests at heart mm -hmm. was it a bit of self-sabotage what, what was that all about i didn't know going through it uh Gemma, but uh uh later on i discovered what the answer to that was and, mm -hmm. and wh where it came from was that i didn't know my place in the world okay and nobody had given me any guidance mm -hmm. nobody said here's the cause and effect nobody yeah. said you yeah. know these are the steps you need to take mm -hmm. it was all out of reaction and all out of chaos and yeah. so um there wasn't I a plan just, there was no plan at all. Mm -hmm. The only plan was figure out how to survive. And oftentimes yeah. when you are asking yourself that question, how do I survive? It's out of chaos. It's out of yes. a problem. Yeah. How yeah. am I ever going to get through this? How am I going to get past this? How am I going to deal with this? Mm -hmm. And they could be little chaoses. Yeah. Like, how am I going to walk into a room full of uh, masters, MBA uh, uh, people, and how am I going to present to them and act like the smartest mm -hmm. guy in the room? Yeah. That's chaos. Yeah, uh, it's also chaos. Like, why do I keep finding um, uh, uh, relationships where the person's completely broken, and I'm intent on trying to fix them? Yeah, right. Yeah. So, uh, so that kind of self-created chaos. So, I think it was just a um, a the inability for me to understand how to make good decisions, and mm -hmm. and I think um, that really stemmed from Gemma, my desire to uh, please others. Okay. And, and, and I could prove if I could solve yeah. the problem, I could prove that I'm worthy. Right. If, yeah. if my, you know, my parents never cared. So I figured sure. anything I tried to do was to get their approval or attention, which yeah. never worked. So I just yeah. kept trying. And so I, I think that that was a pattern that was real comfortable mm -hmm. is I, I never even could imagine that there was a guy in the mirror. It was all mm -hmm. about like the problem or the person or the, mm -hmm. you know, making somebody else happy or trying to fix their problems or, mm -hmm. you know, working doubly hard or whatever I needed to do, it never was about me because I yeah. I didn't have that framework. Mm, okay. Do you think you ever reached a point where you felt like you had made other people happy? Do you, Did you ever achieve it? It took me a while, but it, it, it no, the answer is no, mm -hmm. uh, until I had this like kind of wake up call. Mm -hmm. We talked about it a minute before, um, uh, you know, we really started talking in that, um, yeah, there was a couple of low points and, mm -hmm. you know, the lowest point in my life, I realized the answer to your question was absolutely no, including mm -hmm. with me. Yeah. I didn't make myself happy. I didn't make anybody else happy. And when that time was Gemma was, mm -hmm. I was, yeah, I was successful in business and I had some friends and life wasn't horrible, mm -hmm. but I was, um, uh, in a marriage to an abusive alcoholic who okay. was almost exactly like my mother. And Ugh. I didn't know it until I knew it. Yeah. And then um, I was overweight. Mm -hmm. I was a smoker. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, when you don't have any money, it, you know, you turn to things, right? Yes. yes. <laughs> I had turned to cigarettes. I was a smoker yeah. for 20 years. I was overweight. I was absolutely stressed out. Mm -hmm. I was uh, not active. Um, I had four-year-old twins at the time. Oh, wow. And things were starting to get a little unsafe for them as well as for me. Uh, and it was like every problem that could happen hit me all at once. Mm -hmm. And I, and I thankfully got a wake up call that kind of 
started to turn the dial towards the question that you asked, like, could yeah. I make anybody happy? Yeah. I, yeah. That started to turn the dial because okay. I was really desperate. I was, I was really in a desperate spot. Tell me about the wake up call. <laughs> so uh, the police had been called um, uh, because I, I mean, it's a, we could talk for hours about this, but you know, traditionally, I mean, you know, if you fight, one you know one as a man i can't hit back right mm -hmm. i hit one time and i'm that's it yeah right and so i just learned how to take it and it it got really bad and it's you know it's i mean you know whatever everybody goes through their 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 difficulties but it, it was it was really bad at home and i was really scared for my kids and, and so she um, was physically abusive not just verbally and emotionally yes. abusive. yeah yeah i don't think she knew what she was doing right sure I mean, during the time, but, um, yeah, so it was just bad. And, and there were other things too, but that, that was, that was pretty much the highlight. And I remember, uh, sitting with a friend and I know this is a first world problems, but I had a, had a nice boat. I'm, I'm sitting there on my boat with my friend and I'm just like literally, you know, broken down. And I just said, you know, listen, Chris, man, I am so freaking tired of everything in my life being a problem. And I'm so tired of like these bad relationships. And like, mm -hmm. when can I get a break? Like when I, yeah. when can I get a break? Like when can things start to turn my way? And he goes, man, I've had it with you. And I go, what are you talking about? He goes, I'm so tired of hearing this. He goes, you got the chip, a chip on your shoulder. That's so big. You can't see anything. He says, let me tell you what you do. I go, what? He goes, you walk down the street and you find every little wild animal that you can. And you go, oh, I'm going to fix that wild animal. And you take it home and you pet it and you feed it and you give it a nice home and you talk nice to it. And you do all the things that you should do to try to fix the problem. Mm -hmm. And then you go to pet it and it bites you and you wonder what the hell. And yeah. look, dude, they're wild animals. They bite. That's what they do. I don't care what you do. Why, why don't you go home, look in the mirror and figure out what your problems are? Why do you keep finding problems? Why do you have to find chaos? Yeah. Why are you always fighting uphill? Why do you have such a chip on your shoulder? Why don't you look in the mirror and find out what your problems are? Mm -hmm. And I was like, whoa. Yeah. You know, I mean, I probably heard that a million times or seen yeah. it a million times. I should have been smart enough to know it, but I wasn't yeah. until I, until I was. And then it hit me and I'm just like, wow. Man. Was it because he, he was a friend of yours and that's not the sort of conversation that you would expect to be having with a close friend? You know, very often we sort of like, you're my friend, therefore you're my ally. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gonna, absolutely. You're going to back me up here, even if I'm making a terrible decision kind of a thing. So it must I have been ready to take him to the mat. Yeah. I was like, what are you kidding me? The my fault. How oh. dare you? This is not yeah. me. This is them. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, I mean, think about it when you're at work and life and everybody has like a, a blame for yeah. what's happening to them. Yeah. And my blame was everything else and everybody else and every yeah. bad piece of luck and every uh, cosmic, you know, joke that was being pulled on me. Everything that bad that was happened was uh, yeah. was had everything to do with with everyone else and everything else and not me. How long did it take you to digest that message that he'd given you? Was it kind of like, hmm, and then, you know, go home, ruminate on it a little bit, it sinks in. How long did it take? Oh, it's a great question. Uh, it happened immediately. Okay. It took me a long time to understand it. 
Yeah. And that, and that was a beautiful process understanding yeah. it. Um, but immediately it hit me because I mean, listen, we all have a wake up call. Sometimes a wake up call is a slap in the face. Yeah. And, and I, I don't know why I never heard it before that Gemma, but I never, I ne it never entered my consciousness that I was the problem that yeah. I could fix me. And that'll be, that'll be the first step I need to take to fix yeah. everything else. I just never even thought about that. It just wasn't in my consciousness. And you could, I don't know if anybody's listening. Sometimes you look back on your life and you go, man, was I stupid? Like, <laughs> what the hell was I thinking? Right. Like, yeah. how come I, how come I didn't understand that years before? Yeah. Right. But you just don't, you just know what you know and you know it. So I, I literally at that exact time within about a two week period, I got my kids and I had a safety. It might've been a week before that. It might've been a week after. I don't, I don't know. But within that time frame, I got me and my kids a safety and I, and I had the leverage I needed to make sure that there wasn't going to be a big to do about getting divorced and all of that. Mm -hmm. um, and I knew that, um, that, uh, my my life was going to be okay right mm -hmm. like, like that was a problem that needed to be solved and it was solved and i i probably look like an idiot Gemma, but i i remember at that time like putting my kids to bed they were only four uh, not quite five yet and i i walked into the, uh, the bathroom and i looked in the mirror and i just started talking to myself mm -hmm. and i said man man what what if he's right like what if you're the problem like yeah. what the hell and I just talked to myself for like an hour, mm -hmm. maybe longer. Yeah. And I listed to myself all the things that I could be proud of and all the things I liked. And I listed all the things I didn't like, which is a brutal exercise. Yeah. If you're going to be brutally honest with yourself. And I said, look, man, you, you're unhealthy. Mm. You're, you're stressed out. Yeah. You always try to fix other people's problems, you, uh, which you can't. Yeah. What makes you think you, you're so great that you can fix other people's problems? You can't. Mm. Um, why don't you stop smoking? Like, yeah. why don't you get healthy? Why, why don't, you know, and I just listed all of these things. So it was pretty quick. It was like a wake up call. Cause I went, man, okay. I'm the problem. Yeah. And that started the, the, the process. Okay. And so some of the resolution of those problems were probably more like longer term commitments, like losing weight. And I guess some stuff you might've had the option to just switch it off or switch something else on instead. How long overall did that dissecting, changing, decoding, how long did that take? It took a couple of years because yeah. I learned a lot of new lessons. But one of the amazing things about uh, life is that especially if you encounter difficulty is you learn a lot of lessons. I mean, you learn some valuable lessons, you learn some valuable tools, you learn valuable leadership skills. You you have some perspective. Um, you know, I mean, if everything's handed to you on a silver spoon, that's great. But but if things get difficult, you don't have the tools. Yeah. But if yeah. you're used to everything being difficult, when things are difficult, you're you're cool. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But um, the the thing is, is I I figured out during that talk with myself that I learned a, a hundred valuable lessons in life, but I missed one key, and that is how to apply them to myself. Right. Yeah. I could run a business. I could lead other people. I could be a good friend. I could do all these things. I could, I could em employ those lessons to help others or to help my situation, but I yeah. didn't know how to apply them to me. Yeah. So it was, uh, it was this thing where, you know, s standing in the mirror, uh, uh, saying, okay, maybe the guy 
looking back matters more than everybody else. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's a good place to start. Yeah. And, and if he does, then what do you need to do that's healthy and positive and can help you on a path towards your best life? And what, what can you do to put yourself in a position of happiness and, and all of these things that I was like, wow, okay. And, 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 and it, st- it started with that, that honest discussion. But the next thing I had to do, Gemma, was I had to just forgive myself and just, mm-hmm. just let free my mind a little bit and go, all right, you're an idiot. You yeah. made a whole lot of bad decisions. You wasted a whole lot of time. You're in a bad position now, but just, you didn't know, man, just like, mm-hmm. like give it up. Like, just don't beat yourself up. Just make today the first day. That was really the key for me was to just cut myself a break. We're so mean to ourselves in our head. Yeah. Especially oh, yeah. if we make a bad yeah. decision, right? Yeah, 100%. So it sounds from from what you're saying there, being honest with yourself was a key part of the process. Mm-hmm. Um, valuing your self-esteem, making that a priority was a key part of the process. Forgiving yourself was a key part of the process. Mm-hmm. Do you think there was anything else that was important as you started to make that transition? Like if someone gonna, were going to model this from you and they're like, yeah. wow, his situation sounds just like mine. Like well, what are the steps? What do I need to do? Yeah. Are there any other elements or aspects that you think are, are really important in that journey? Yeah. And I didn't know it going into it, but I knew it after I kind of really made a, a really great transition. And we could talk about what that, what that looked like for me. It might not look like that for anybody else, but it was that honest, brutal assessment the giving yourself the ability to just let go, just free your mind, forgive yourself, just, just walk away. Like today's day yeah. one, forget about it. Right. It's yeah. not, I'm going to do something one day. This is day one, like, boom. Sure. The third part, uh, was this like unending optimism and excitement to find out like what's on the other side of me? Like what's, what, what is that? And, and it was a process to learn that. I'll give you an example. Okay. So I stopped smoking in what was um, February of that year. Mm -hmm. In March, I ran a 5k. So imagine a guy that's, you know, I don't know, killed him 30, 30 K overweight and and been a smoker for, for 20 years. Um, I couldn't run down the block and five weeks later I ran a 5k and then I did a 10k and then I did a little triathlon. And by July I said, man, I'd love to do something called a half Ironman and half Ironman is, is a, is a big event, right? It's, it's a hard event. It's a long event, but swim, bike and runs, you know, uh, uh, nearly, uh, uh, 110k or something between the three sports. So I go to this event, I sign up for it. I do my training. I've never done anything like this. I never come close to anything like this. And I roll up to the start line. I park my car and I get out and I start looking around and I'm like, Gemma, holy crap. Everybody here is like a Greek God and goddess. Like they're <laughs> beautiful. They're, they're in tone. They're, sh- they're in shape. They're freaking athletes. And I'm just this fat kid. I'm not kidding anymore, but I'm just this fat guy. Like, I don't belong here. What the hell am I doing? And, and I, I walk around and I'm just like, Oh my God, you're such a loser. You don't belong here. Like what the hell? And everybody's got to be looking at you thinking, what's that guy doing here? And so I almost got back in my car. I almost did and went home and said, okay, that's that. That's not me. But then I walked to the start line and they, they were doing a wave start and the gun goes off and all these Greek God and goddesses go swimming 
And I'm like, wow, those are real athletes. And I almost turn around to go when I leave and I look at the beginning and there is a dude back uh, swimming on his back, flopping around. There's somebody else swimming in circles. Yeah. And there's another person that's scared to jump in the water and they don't care. Like they're just doing the best that they can do for them. They could care less. Cause if that was me, I mean, I would be so self-conscious. They don't even care. Like they're just trying to do the best they can do. And I go, yeah. Oh, you mean that's okay. Like nobody's judging you. Nobody cares. Like just go out there and do what you need to do. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I did the race and I finished and nobody cared and nobody was watching, but I knew now what I could do, yeah. which was awesome. Yeah. And then I did a full Ironman and then I, decided to go run 50k and then i ran 70k and then i ran uh uh uh, 100k and then i did 150k run and then i did you know multi-day bike rides and i did i eventually i did an 8000 k solo bike ride you know i just did all this crazy stuff because i was optimistic like man if i could do that why can't i do this yeah yeah. i could do that why can't i do this you know if I could, instead of trying to fix a problem, why don't I walk away from a problem? How cool is that? Yeah, yeah. So I just, that the process, I know it's a long answer, but the process was a couple of years yeah. of that beautiful finding out what I could do and, you know, what yeah. I'm all about. So how important were the goals that you were setting? I, I didn't set any goals. Okay. What I did was I said, why don't you go do something? And then figure it out. And if I did it, I'm like, oh, you obviously set your sights too low. Right. So why don't you try something else? And that's a little bit harder. And if you can do that, then, well, geez, wow, you didn't set your sights high enough. Mm -hmm. And then you could do that. Like, here's a guy who I literally could not run across the street. Uh And I did three Ironmans and two 50-mile runs in one year. That's it's like not good. <laughs> I mean, are you kidding me? Like at, at my age and raising two two kids by myself and running a very large business and having friends and what dealing with the financial crisis. I don't. Yes. And at the same time, uh, my sister was was going through her cancer. So, so, I mean, yeah, that's a lot on your plate. But I'm like, wow, I certainly didn't set my goals high enough. Yeah. Now I wait and set them higher earlier in life. Yeah. Like I got to make up for all that bad, all those bad decisions. What did it do for you on a, on a sort of mental and emotional level? What, when that stuff was happening and you were achieving these things, mm-hmm. were you being nicer to yourself? Were you acknowledging those achievements and did you believe them? It, it, it took a while. Um, I, I've never been a fan of people that brag a lot. I've never been a fan of people that, um, put a spotlight on them. And so I didn't want to be a hypocrite and start doing that, but I did it inside. Okay. I, I, I started to change that internal voice and, and it wasn't, um, I didn't consciously do it. It just started to happen that it was like, you mean, I'm allowed to feel good about myself. You mean I'm, I'm allowed to be proud. I'm allowed to like, know that I did something that was positive and then feel some reward inside about that so those weren't conscious thoughts but that's what started to happen and it's kind of amazing how um with a quiet confidence you can become a new person Mm -hmm. and rewire that negative voice in your head that's i mean i I, if there's a number i probably told myself i'm a loser five billion times right 
because when something bad happens, you're like, oh, you're such an idiot. Why? Oh, you're such an idiot. Like, oh, I can't believe it. Oh, you're such an idiot. I might have done that countless times. And then all of a sudden you start to do something that you can be proud of, even if it's something as simple as running across the finish line. Um, and then you go, okay, well, maybe I'm not a loser. You go, yeah. or you go, wow, that was cool. Or, you know, yeah. hey, man, you set out to do something and you did it. Good for you. That's the opposite of calling yourself a loser 5 billion times. So it takes a, a while, but internally I did that. And, and that has made all the difference in the world and the way I view myself and the way I view the world for sure. Mm -hmm. And did, as these new things were happening, this new voice was happening, did you see that there was a positive effect on other areas of your life? So you had your business by this stage, like, was there an impact there? Was there an impact mm -hmm. on your relationships? Where else did it ripple out to? Yeah, pretty much everywhere. Mm -hmm. And, and um, it's still a work in process. I mean, this is 20 years later, right? It's still, it's still a work in process, but I am substantially better mm -hmm. at making good decisions. Yeah. I am substantially better at letting, um, uh, not trying to, to think of myself as the guy that's going to solve the problems because mm -hmm. I can't solve the problems, man. Yeah. What, wild animals are going to be wild animals. They don't know any better, right? Yeah, yeah. And so I tend to not be drawn to mm -hmm. be in the solution. I tend to not be drawn to thinking that I'm the guy that can fix the problem, right? Because yeah. I can't, right? Yeah. And And so... Uh, it definitely made me a better father. It yeah. made me a better friend, it made mm -hmm. me a better picker of friends, yes. <laughs> it made me a better partner, made me a better picker of partners. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so yeah, I, it permeated pretty much every, every area of my life for sure. And how do you deal with it now? If you have a, a wild animal that crosses your path, he's in need of, um, you know, looks like, or looks like they would be uh, good recipients of some kind of help or support how do you deal with that differently now yeah it's it's good insight I I, I tend to realize now as opposed to before right when you grow up in a house where you know I, I did ABC and I would come home and my mom would be happy and the very next day I would do ABC and I would come home and my mom would be exceptionally angry and violent. Right. And so if, if you're not safe, you're like, holy crap, I, I gotta always be a, a, a aware of all the China that's around me. Cause it might break at any time. And I got no, I gotta always be alert. Right. Cause the world might come crashing down. Like I gotta, I gotta stop that from happening. And that's, that's the way I live my life. And so when I didn't need to do that anymore, I realized, Hey, you know what? I didn't put the crystal on the, on the, uh, on the shelf over there. If it falls down and breaks, that's its problem. Right. <laughs> like I, like I, I didn't have to be so self-conscious of everything around me is going to break and I got to be the one to fix it. Right. Cause it's, it's not that way. It's just the world doesn't revolve around me and it's not all because of me and it's not all my fault. And it's not, it's not my responsibility to make everybody and everything, you know, okay. And it took a yeah. long time to learn that. And so um, I'm better at re recognizing that, that, uh, yeah. you know, the world goes around, uh, everybody's living their lives, everybody's dealing with their problems, and I got nothing to do with it. And they got nothing to do with me. And not, that's not 100% true, right? We have good relationships, and we interact, and we care about people. Yeah. Um, but really, 
it's it's just taking uh, I, I learned how to take myself out of the center of everything because yeah. I, I wasn't the center of everything yeah and I'm curious as to what happened with your relationship with your parents as a result of these changes that you went through where, where were they by this stage that never got fixed okay um uh, by the time I was 18 my dad was was nearly 80 and that was a very old yes yeah, it was very old back then I mean you know 70 late 70s was very old back in back back 50 years ago 40 years ago so uh so he was really old he ended up passing away when I was 23 okay. and we never really had any relationship growing up because he was he was he was how do you relate to somebody that's nearly 60 years older than you as, as a father did, son did they stay married did your parents stay together they did until I was about uh until my sister and I were uh small teens Okay. Then, then you you started to see there's a big difference. What now? Yeah. Now there's just not an age difference. One's very young and one's very old. Yes. And yeah. old comes with problems, and young, especially yeah. if you're angry and bitter, comes with a whole nother set of problems. Yeah. And so, uh, unfortunately, um, it's not hyperbole to say my mom just didn't like kids. She really didn't like kids, and. Um, yeah, I don't think she's missed not having a relationship with me for a minute of her life. And and that's, you know, it is what it is. But uh, uh, he passed away when I was 23 and and she's still alive. But honestly, I, I you know, she hasn't reached out to me in decades and decades and decades. So, wow. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And are you at peace with that? Would you ever want that to be different? Of course, I'd wish that it was different, but I am at peace with it. And it took it took a lot for me to become at peace with it. And and the analogy that I can give is, so I'm going to fast forward to something. I was uh, doing a this 8,000 8, K bike ride right. in only 45 days, a solo bike ride. It was part of a project, book project I was working on. And um, uh, I was biking solo across the country basically from California to Florida and then up to New York. If you know the States, it's a long way. Yeah. And I was in Florida, which is where she lives. And I knew I was going to be biking within a stone's throw of her, where she, where she lived. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought, you know what? She's not going to care. She's never going to know. And no way in the world would I ever stop by. What, do you, what am I going to say? Hi, I'm, I'm the guy you didn't want to talk to for the last 40 years. So um, I got this analogy in my head and I was biking in the middle of the night down this lonely highway in Florida and I got this analogy and I just I just became at peace with it using this analogy and I said look man at this point in your life like like you were given a 10,000 piece puzzle which is a freaking hard puzzle to put together and you put a lot of it together you're like 8,000 pieces in and you're starting to look around and you're going uh-oh there's a piece or two missing ah, shit, like you, you, you dropped a piece. Yeah. Somebody's took a piece. There's some pieces missing. So what do you do? Do you return it to the manufacturer? Can't do that. Right. Yeah. Can, can you order a new box? Can't do that. Mm -hmm. So just continue to put the puzzle together and just realize there's going to be some missing pieces. Oh, well, yeah. focus on the, on the, What's the that? pieces that are there, not the few holes that, that are there. So it was this analogy where I was just like, yeah, I'd like it to be different. Mm -hmm. But you know what? I, I'm a 10,000 piece puzzle. There's only a couple pieces missing. I'm pretty freaking lucky. And, and I'm proud of the books that I've wrote. 
and and a couple of them were were big projects and I think have made an impact so I think I'm proud of those things too yeah tell me about the books well I mean I mean the the most recent one because we've only been talking about a little bit was called cycle of lives I'll give you a quick background on it was that when I uh, um finally saw this endless road ahead of me Gemma like this I'm like, wow, I got, you mean I can be healthy and I can care about myself. Uh, uh. And I'm just like, ah, it's my world's like endless ahead of me. Like, this is day one. Oh, sweet. Bring it on. Like, I'm so excited. Uh, right then, like in that same two week period I was talking about before, my sister called me up and said, Hey, I've got terminal brain cancer. And out of our, you know, horrible childhood, she was happily married, great friends, really had evolved to a wonderful person. So her journey now was going to be very short and yeah. mine was very endless and it was pretty stark. And I recognized through uh, interacting with her during that time that people were really good. I don't care if it's a doctor, mm -hmm. the patient, a caregiver, a loved one, um, that people are really good about dealing around the, the tasks around their cancer, mm -hmm. but they're not good at talking about the emotional side of their traumas. Yeah. What the emotional, how does it feel? Right. Yeah. Like I can tell you how to find a better doctor and how to navigate the healthcare system, but to sit down with you and say, you know, geez, how does it feel? What are you going through? You know, talk to me. That's hard to do. And I have never met uh, anyone that doesn't have some amount of difficulty with connecting with people on the emotional side about severe trauma like that. And I yeah. said, I, I thought to myself, like, why is that? Like, why do we have such a hard time talking about difficult things like that? And so I embarked on this project to find these fascinating, amazing people, uh, oncologists and medical professionals, patients, survivors, loved ones, somebody that lost a parent, somebody that lost a child, you name it. And I just interviewed them about their traumas. And um, what what is it about uh, your life that allowed you to connect with people or what is it about your life that inhibited you prevented you from connecting with people at their most needed time or at your most needed time and i wanted i didn't come up with any answers I, I don't know if i had any answers um but i wanted to shine a light on that i'll tell you uh, what happened during the financial crisis i was working at, at, at this major wall street firm and i had um one of my employees um uh took took a horrible exit and decided to jump off the building right. couldn't handle it mm -hmm. uh and uh clearly he needed to seek professional help and hadn't yeah. um young family young kids it's just absolutely tragic yeah. and i had about 50 employees on site and i and i walked into each person's office and i said oh my gosh you know can you imagine what what it must have been like for him and every single person Gemma, every single one had a first person experience who goes, yeah, I can't understand what it's like. I mean, when I was a kid, my uncle, this, or when I was a kid, my best friend and this, or when I was a kid, my dad, or and yeah. I'm just like, what the hell? Yeah. These are people I've worked with for years. Mm -hmm. I've been to their weddings. I've been to funerals. I've been to barbecues. I've had them at my house. I've gone on vacations with them. And I didn't know that they had dealt with something that freaking serious. Why? Cause we don't talk about it. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, why is that? And so, so I just kept running into people over and over and over. Oh, I can take care of my mom while she's in hospice, but yeah, we don't really talk about it. No. Right. 
or I love taking care of my patients, but they don't know what I, what I go through emotionally as a doctor. It's, it's like that part of it is so hidden that yeah. I just, I wanted to try to shine a light on it to figure out why, why is it so hard for us to talk about things on the emotional level, especially with regards to really, you know, big trauma. And what did you learn about the why? Were there any patterns or anything that you were able to conclude? Yeah, all the stories are so different. They're all just vastly, wildly different. Um, and they are mostly different uh, because the adolescent, young adult childhood traumas we go through are severe. I don't care who you are and I don't care how lucky you are or how unfortunate you are. Mm -hmm. Those traumas are severe. Yeah. And we carry them around with us. Um, and so it was strange how everybody's story was quite individual, but collectively they all shared a kind of a one thing in common. They're all carrying around a whole lot of baggage. Yeah. They're all a very unkind with their inside voice regarding okay. things. I mean, yeah. even the oncologist who, mm -hmm. when she was a little girl, her dad one day just never came home and never to be heard from again. Oh. Right. So her whole life, she figures she deserves to be abandoned. It's her fault. Right. I mean, she probably told herself that 10 million times. It's always yeah. her fault. She's the one that deserves to be abandoned. How do you rewire yeah. that? So I think the common theme is that we, we all have had trauma, maybe at varying degrees, but it, they're all severe. And, and we oftentimes don't develop the tools with how to deal with it. So we just tuck it away inside and it, it yeah. becomes this, this thing that could eat away at us. And it affects yeah. who we are, especially when it comes to connecting with people. Yes, and, and, yeah. and if we don't know how to connect with people, we're not going to learn later in life unless we learn how to unpack that crap that's in our head and rewire the, the box, re rewire this ourselves. And so um, if you take the common thing of everybody's going through something or has gone through something that's really dramatic, if you take the common theme of we're not, we don't have the tools to really examine it with other people and in a safe environment with somebody because we're just not used to sharing it because we're used to hiding it. Yeah. And you, you, you add the fact that we all have emotions. We, right. And oftentimes you put in the last ingredient, which is, uh, it's very isolating, very, very, um, very lonely place trauma, yeah. especially later in life. Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't know if this ever happened to you, but I'll say it has. It's happened. Every anybody's listening. You're walking down the hallway at work, and somebody goes, "Hey, Gemma," and you go, "Hey, what's going on?" Ah, I just and you go, "Oof, there's something going on. What's happening? Are you okay?" And they go, "Oh, you know, I just I just found out my cousin's really sick, and I just got this phone call, and I think she might be dying." And you go, "Oh shit, I'm sorry," and you go, "No," and you go exit because yeah. the heck, do you, what are you gonna say? You just came out of a meeting where you're feeling really good about yourself and you just walked into somebody who said their cousin's dying, man, I got to exit as quickly as I can. Yes. What the hell am I going to say? Yeah. And so it's a very lonely, isolating place. And so if you, um, if you recognize that those things, everybody's an emotional wreck at mm -hmm. some level, everybody's gone through trauma. Everybody's so mean to themselves inside and also whatever they're going through right now that might be acute. It probably is a pretty lonely place. Yeah. Do you think that there's any um, uh, formula for how we can react in that situation that you just gave an example of? Like, what is the right thing for people to do? Because I think unless you're a trained 
therapist and then you might have some you know some nouse about you to be able to ask the right questions um express empathy in the right way but for the sort of average person where they're kind of like like what do I do with this I feel like someone's just handed me a grenade and now I'm holding it and I don't I don't want this exploding on me so what do I do with this thing um what is there a right way to react in those situations easier to answer is there a wrong way to react in those situations yes because I don't know that I have the answers I'm not therapist I'm not a professional I'm 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 just a guy who talked to a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of people about this, right? So I can tell you what the wrong way is. The wrong way is sympathy. Because mm-hmm. people don't want sympathy, man. They're dealing with problems. They don't want your sympathy. That doesn't make it better. Number two, they don't want a solution because mm-hmm. you can't give it to them. No. Right? And a guy like me, back back to old me, that's all I would do is try to be a solution, yes. right? And, yeah, but yeah. but I, can't, I can't provide the solution. So yeah. There is, in a lot of cases, not a solution. So don't try to, a a three is they don't want, they don't want it to be compared to, Mm -hmm. right? Like, uh, oh, your grandmother died. I know, you know, my grandmother's so sick. I hope she's okay. It's like, oh yeah. Okay. No, your grandmother dying and my grandmother being sick have nothing in common. Like don't compare the two. Um, uh, and, and and so that's a good place to start. Mm -hmm. The, The other thing is, is I, I'd say one right thing to do is to realize that you probably if you mean it and you're coming from a place of authenticity and you're and you're grounded and you're real you probably can't say the wrong thing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you probably can't ask the wrong question yeah i'll give you an example you could probably identify with this okay my sister's dying of brain cancer Mm -hmm. dying of brain cancer she's gonna leave her husband and kids behind right I can't even imagine the stuff that she's going through and the stuff that she's feeling. Okay. I'm at work one day. She calls me up and I pick up the phone and I go, Hey June, how's it going? And then the first thing I do is go, Oh my God, are you an idiot? How in the world could you ask her? How's it going? Mm-hmm. Like, what do you mean? How's it going? Like, what do you think? How do you think it's going? Yeah. She's dying. She's, uh, uh. And she goes, Oh, Hey, I'm fine. Anyway, da, 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 da. And it's like the mental anguish that I went through by asking a simple question of how you're doing. Yeah. It didn't even phase her. It didn't even come into her mind. You probably can't say the wrong thing. We are so afraid of saying the wrong thing, of doing the wrong thing, of not being in the right. It's not about that. You know what it's about? It's just caring and being present. Yeah. And if you say the wrong thing, they're going to let you know. Yes. Most likely not yeah. saying something is the wrong thing to do. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And I guess just making yourself available, you know, for people that are in difficult situations, making yourself available. And sometimes you really don't need to say very much at all. You know, most of the time, it's just just listening. Yeah, I mean, every single person that went through, and and again, I I talked to many, many, many people, uh, Mm. different kinds of cancer, different ages, different perspective. You know, one lady had cancer five different times in her life. You know, one, one person was just afraid of cancer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, every single person had this kind of uh, common theme that they had been abandoned or their best friend all of a sudden disappeared. Their yeah. college roommate all of a sudden wouldn't return a phone call. Like their fiance hung up the phone and said, I can't take care of you. I'll, this is not me. Yeah. Like, Full on abandonment. 
Yeah. And 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 so it's so lonely and isolating. And and sometimes it's it's you know, I'm going through something difficult. And so I put on a face and I tell everybody else, no, I don't need anything. And I disappear. So it can be lonely that way too, but it's a very lonely place. So what you said was really there, just be present, just, Mm -hmm. just, just be there for them. And which is hard. It's hard to do because if you're, if, if you're just there to listen and to talk about what's going on, it can be a very uncomfortable position. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And it's, um I don't like the fact that I'm going to say this but I'm going to say it's an investment of time that people very often don't feel like they have you know because people feel so busy these days right I guarantee you 100 percent there's not a single person that could be listening to the show right now Mm. that doesn't have a friend that's going through something Mm. very traumatic a divorce a separation, uh, kids going off college, uh, fired from a job, going through something um, physical. There isn't a person here that doesn't have that person in their life. And you've kind of not been able to make time for them and you haven't called them and you haven't returned their phone call. And now it's been so long that you're afraid to call. And what the hell do you say? Because you said you were going to be there and five weeks later, you haven't been there. So how can you be there now? Because then they're going to hate you. And Every single person has, if you think about it, and I do that every once in a while, I go, who do you know? And then I go, oh, shit, I haven't spoken to so-and-so. I got to give them a call and ask them how they're feeling. Yeah, yeah. It's hard, man. It's hard. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's great that you've made that almost like a sort of conscious part, a, a conscious ritual for yourself to make sure that you're making yourself available for those people. Because otherwise, you know, time just slides. And one minute it's new year the next minute it's the 11th of april so it it, you know it just slides by otherwise for sure and look i used to think well i'll call them and make it better or i'll jump in on the problem and try to solve it but now i just go you're not going to solve any problems you're not going to make them feel any better how about this when you if you could have had an awareness earlier in life that somebody cared like Mm -hmm. you really believe they cared how much more ahead in life would you be right now? I just never believed anybody cared. I certainly didn't care about me, but I definitely didn't believe anybody else cared. Yeah. And um, wow, man, when somebody shows you that they really care, it's really deep. It's really touching. It's really powerful. Yes. And even if you're only present for a few minutes, to, mm-hmm. just to let that person know that you actually really care. Yeah. Yeah, you're just there to show you care. It's a big deal, man. It's a big deal when people are going through difficult things because one of the things they all think about is, hey, man, you know what? Nobody cares. I'm just living my life and nobody cares. But how could they? I mean, don't you just get super annoyed? We've seen it in the movies a hundred times, but don't you get super annoyed when you're trying to explain a problem to somebody and then just keep their answer keeps saying, oh, it's all going to work out. Oh, there's always a reason for it. Oh, I'm sure everything's going to be fine. No, it's not going to be fine. Yeah. Oh, it's going to work out. You'll see. It's going to work out. No, it's not. And so sometimes I think I don't like the fakeness of that. The reality is, is sometimes it doesn't work out. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you got to know when to quit in life and mm-hmm. business and whatever. Mm-hmm. And accepting that allows you to be authentic and to connect yes. to people with grace. Yeah. And um, I mean, there's a million stories of, of some of these people that are running through my heads, right? My head right now, 
but um, just the authenticity, just the realness of the fact that you can be accepting of what's going on mm-hmm. and deal with that. I'm, I'll yeah. never forget this one conversation we had. We were sitting on the on the on, on her back porch, and uh, my kids were maybe seven at the time now. And her kids were a few years older and they were bouncing around on one of those little bouncy tumbler things. And uh, she looked at me and she goes, you know, what really sucks. And I go, what? She goes, I'm never going to watch them grow old. That's going to, that really sucks. And I looked at her and I go, what do you mean? And she's like, well, you know, I mean, I'm definitely going to die before they're much older. And Mm -hmm. I think I'm okay with it. But just the most horrible thing for me is to think that I'm never going to watch them grow. Mm. Like I'm never going to see them get older. She goes, and that just mm. sucks, man. And I looked at her and I'm like, yeah, it does. I mean, it sucks. I just, yeah. just we could agree that being authentic and connecting, even yeah. if the reality was right. And so I, I don't know. I don't know if it helped her. I don't know if it made an impact, but it's certainly a memory that I remember that we connected mm-hmm you know about something real and so i think yeah. again another stupidly long answer to your question but um uh, I, I i like optimism i like the authenticity yeah uh, acceptance is a, is a big one and um you know we don't get a chance to connect with people uh, truly connect with people even if for just a minute we don't get a yeah. chance to truly connect with people and if you can just stop for just a minute and just go, okay, I see you. I hear you. I'm going to, I'm going to yeah. be here. I'm going to be present for even for just mm-hmm. a moment. It could really make all the difference in the world. Yeah, absolutely. And, and gives people that uh, acknowledgement, you know, I hear you, I see you, I, you know, respect your experience. Um, and I think that authentic kind of conversation is, it's just more honest you know, we're not we're not lying about what the situation is to try and make ourselves feel better because lying to yourself never makes you feel any better anyway. It never does. Eventually it catches up with you. Exactly. Eventually it catches up with you. Yeah, yeah. So where are you now in life? Oh, well, I uh, still uh, balance um, work, writing books, mm-hmm. uh, being a good parent when I can they're, I mean they're grown now so they you know I, I, they don't they don't need parenting but whatever yeah um I uh, I I just do a lot of things I still do uh endurance athletic events I just did a half Ironman last Saturday and wow. I keep doing you know crazy things I I just yeah. you know I, I'm doing the world championship Hawaii Ironman next year and excuse me so I'm, I'm staying active and I'm still trying to figure out where my limits are Mm-hmm. which is great and I'm still writing books and um still trying to talk yeah I do expressive writing workshops so I help okay. uh, people, uh cancer cancer organizations uh other organizations that deal with trauma I try yeah. to uh teach people how to rewire how to have a different okay. conversation with themselves how, yeah. to, how, to, how to be nicer how to how to uh reframe that conversation so that so that they can uh, get some benefit. There's some really good benefits from uh, from expressive writing. Yeah. And I try to empower people with some tools on how to write better so that you can okay. have a better conversation with that with that inside voice. I mean, when you think yeah, about that's... how mean we are to ourselves and then you write yeah. it out and you're like, whoa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't realize yeah. I was that mean to myself. 
And then yeah. if you read it out loud, you're like, whoa, like yeah. I, you know, people are really not in touch with that inside voice. So I, I try to teach mm -hmm. them how to do that. Uh, so I do that a lot. Um, yeah. And I just stay super busy. Yeah. Nice. Uh, it's super interesting. You say about the expressive writing. So I don't know where I came across this might've been somebody else's podcast. Um, they were talking about how uh, I think it was around journaling specifically and that um, it doesn't work as well if you type it out as if you handwrite it because when you handwrite it it's you're slowed down you're naturally slowed down because you can only write so fast so it causes you to perhaps think through what you're going to write a little bit more um and it's it's maybe coming from a slightly more mindful place whereas people can learn to type super quickly uh, but then they're not sort of filtering the information that's coming out in the same way so I was curious about your thoughts on that and whether you would have a um, preference if you were teaching someone something like expressive yeah. writing about the how they do it. Yeah, my preference is the how is really, really, really important. Mm -hmm. So writing it out by hand is 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 yeah. important. It's not the most yep. important thing, but it's important. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but I, I try to give them tools such as how to talk about um, emotion rather than action mm -hmm. um and so i have really good pro in fact i'm doing an expressive writing workshop tonight for a cancer organization and yeah. um, this is maybe the 10th in a series i've done for them mm -hmm. and now they're very uh very good at understanding how to write emotion and not mm -hmm. action okay right. how, give me an example that of that what, what might that sound like so instead of describing something. So I, I would say something like, remember the last difficult conversation you had with a friend and, and, and write about it. And, and, and I remember one person said, you know, um, uh, my friend walked into the, to the restaurant, it was really cold and, and she sat down and she was cold and it kind of started like that. Okay? Mm -hmm. And I said, no, 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 you're telling me actions. You're giving me labels on, yes. on words. What I want you to do is tell me the feeling about it. Yeah. Tell me the feeling. And all of a sudden, the next two or three versions later, she was like, I sat waiting in the rest in the restaurant. Mm -hmm. I couldn't believe it had been so long since we've seen her, since I seen her, mm -hmm. and she was gonna be late. Like mm -hmm. how important was it that she cared about me? And the first thing she mm -hmm. showed me was that she's late. And yeah. then I was so cold sitting there that I was shivering. Mm -hmm. And I was probably close to crying because I was so angry at her being late. And then when she walked in, it looked like she didn't care about me. And she kind of like walked over and sat down and it looked almost like she didn't want to be there. Yeah. And so we talked about, and when she, when she, when she wrote that out that way mm -hmm. and she read it to the group, she, she was mm -hmm. bawling her eyes out because she yeah. was like this, she was so in touch with her feelings. I remember one, if I could just digress for one minute. Yeah, of course. Yeah, one yeah. that was so, so beautiful because she couldn't talk about the emotion and i finally got her a place where she could talk about the emotion of it mm -hmm. and so she, her story went something like this and and it's not word for word but it was so beautiful she went um i'm so angry at this person mm -hmm. my you know for the last 20 years i i have been listening to this person right and at my most needed time I didn't listen to them and I'm so mad because if I would have listened to you, 
I could probably be alive if I would have just taken your advice Mm. and I would have gone to the doctor sooner. My cancer wouldn't be as bad. Mm. I'm so freaking angry at myself for not listening Mm. to you. And I hate myself because I didn't listen to you. I listened to you my whole life. Mm. And then I didn't listen to you when I most needed to listen to you. And it's your fault, right? You didn't tell me strong enough to listen to me. You didn't say that. I'm so angry at you. And she read it and I said, who is your friend? And she said, that was me. Like, I, why, why didn't I listen to myself? Yeah. And she goes, she was bawling her eyes out and she realized she was so angry at herself. She didn't realize that. And then all the other people in the support group uh, convinced her, you know, was she, does she need to forgive herself? Because she was just busy. She was living her life. She, she knew something was wrong, but she didn't know. You don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Just forgive yourself. But she was so angry Mm -hmm. at herself for not going to get herself looked at and taken Mm -hmm. care of before that, but she had never dealt with it. And when she wrote it out and when she talked about the emotion and when Mm. she read it out loud to herself, it was so real and honest and pure. And she got to the point where she was able to forgive herself because she had to, she, she didn't know any better. Mm. And that's what expressive writing can do. It can just really get, let you get in touch with your emotions. Yeah. Wow. That's such powerful stuff. Is there um like are there frameworks and things that people can follow around this what's that was you know if people are sort of more interested in it what's the best way for them to learn more about it yeah like anything it's a practice so if you want to do anything well if you want to um if you want to eat well if you want to become a cook if you want to be a musician if you want to do your makeup right whatever the hell the thing is that you you got to practice right yeah yeah so uh writing especially writing about things we're not comfortable writing about our own yes. feelings yeah. in a very descriptive honest mm-hmm. pure way it's yeah. not easy to do it takes practice and it's not really that hard but it takes yeah. practice yeah um, and so there's tons of 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 existing i mean shoot you can go online and type expressive writing prompts sure and you could just sit down and yeah. do it but i would suggest if anybody thinks maybe i should look into it mm-hmm. a lot of local organizations uh, mm-hmm. especially if you're going through something like cancer or, you know, batter women's shelter or PTSD or a, a drug addiction places, all of these, if you're going through something really difficult, mm-hmm. um, they, they all have programs and some of most of them will have programs that revolve around journaling yeah. or expressive writing. Okay. And they're wonder, they're literally the most incredible things ever. Yeah. I, I so look forward to, to leading these workshops because they're just transformative to people. Yeah. You know? I and, mean, and what is it that makes it different to verbalizing those things that they might be thinking or experiencing? How is it different that it's done in writing? Do you think? I'll give you a super simple answer to that question. Okay. Mm. Earlier this year, uh, I was maybe like uh, January 1st or 2nd, my wife was away on business. And I was in the garage working out and I had a 15 K a 30 pound weight and I dropped it on my toe, Oof. a hex weight. Like at the point of the 30, uh, yeah, 15, yeah, 30 K, yeah. Uh, 15 K 30, 30 pounds right on my big toe. And I screamed bloody murder for like 15 minutes. Yeah. And then for the next two hours, I said, Oh, you're such an idiot. Oh, you're such an idiot. Mm-hmm. Like I must've said I'm an idiot a yeah. thousand times. 
why are you so clumsy? Why didn't you think about this? Why didn't you do this? Because I'm dealing with the pain and yeah. it has to be my fault. And yeah. I'm the one to blame. And I'm such a dope. And I'm going on and on and on. And I start laughing. I sit down to do some writing. I, my toe is throbbing. And I'm like, oh, maybe you should write how it's not your fault. Yeah. Like you drop something, big deal. Like you yeah. drop something. It's, you're not an idiot, right? <laughs> it's not your fault. Yeah. Like, yeah, a bad occurrence happened. Mm -hmm. The outcome was terrible. Yeah. And yes, it hurt, but it's not your fault. Like stop mm -hmm. beating yourself up over it. And I'm like, oh shit, I got to take my own medicine because yeah. it's so easy to beat yourself up over yeah. it. Yeah, you know, that just, just, just cut yourself a break. And, and, and if you really talk about the emotion and you're kind to yourself and you talk yeah. about what happened, you're going to realize it wasn't your fault. Of course. So do you find, um, so I've, I've done a lot of self-development and a bit like your story there with dropping the weight on your foot, I'll have my own sort of equivalent situation, and I'll make myself laugh at the moment when I spot just how bad my self-talk is and the fact that I've just probably spent the last eight hours teaching people how to have more positive self-talk. So <laughs> in my experience, the ability to beat myself up um, definitely still exists, but I can spot it faster and I can correct it far more easily than, you know, I didn't even have the skills to correct it in the past. So I'm curious if for you it's similar in that you can kind of slip back into the old ways, um, but are probably less inclined to do that. And mm -hmm. if you do, you'll spot it faster and you mm -hmm. can correct it more easily. No question. And that begins with this process i know it's dumb to to make it this simple but it begins with the same process of which is transformation right which is mm -hmm. honest assessment yeah free your mind forgive yourself wasn't mm -hmm. your fault mm -hmm. and if it was you didn't know any better so now you do yeah. so just yeah. whatever just free your mind and then be optimistic that you can do better mm. that things can work out better right yeah it's a it's a simple formula but it really works yeah because honestly the last time that you beat yourself up mm. honestly Honestly, I mean, did you beat yourself up for the right reasons? Did I mean, were you being honest about what happened? Yeah. Did did did, did you did you accept the part that you had in it, or accept the fact that you had nothing to do with it? Yeah. Like, were you honest about it? Second of all, can you just cut yourself a break, like mm -hmm. literally? Yeah. You were dying, you were doing your best. You didn't know any better, and now you do, and you're going to integrate it so that you don't do that same mm -hmm. thing again. Like, mm -hmm. just give yourself a break. Like, don't. Yeah. Don't cut yourself the same break a hundred times, but cut yourself sure. the same break a few dozen times. You don't know. And yeah. then pretty soon you don't have to cut yourself that break anymore. So just free yeah. your mind. Yeah. And then be authentic about saying, I'm going to do better. Yeah. I'm going to be nicer. Yeah. It's going to work out better. I'm going to mm -hmm. take the right steps I need to take. Right. Think about if you're on a diet, right. And you go, you go, oh, well, I'm trying to lose weight. Well, actually, no, you're not. If you're sitting around eating a bunch of chocolate, you're not trying to lose weight, but you mm -hmm. might think you are, but like, honestly, yeah. are you okay? Honestly, are you? No. So just be honest and just say, okay, I, I'm, I'm not doing as good a job as I could do. I could do better. Second mm -hmm. of all, just forgive yourself. Like, oh, it's not, it's not easy. You've been covering up bad eating habits for whatever hundred million bad reasons for how long, mm -hmm. like cut yourself a break. It's not easy. Yeah. Okay? And then like, try better, <laughs> like just yeah. try better. Don't, yeah. don't walk around going, oh, I'm trying to lose weight. And meanwhile, you're eating 10,000 calories a day. No, you're not trying to lose weight. 
Don't say it. Yeah. Don't, you know, be authentic. I notice how there's a lot of people who have negative self-talk, but don't even know that they're doing it until I say, what do you say to yourself in there? And they go, well, it's like, la, 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 la. And it's all very bad. And I'm like, well, like, is that working out well for you? <laughs> like, it's got you to see me. So I'm not sure it is. Um, and I think there's a lot of people who are just, it's almost like they're busy doing it. That they're not even, they're hearing it. Obviously, they're hearing it internally, but they're not conscious of it. You know, it's like they're sort of just drifting through life, doing what they're doing and not really taking a moment to check in with themselves and go, hey, how's it sounding up here? They may be more inclined to do that on a physical level. You know, if there's some kind of physical ailment, you know, they got a bad stomach or something like that, then they can tune into it and go, I wonder what's going on in there. It doesn't feel so good. But then they're not necessarily doing that in their head without me flicking them <laughs> in some way. Yeah, well, de denial and self-delusion are two very, very, very powerful tools. I tend to think as well that the people, you mentioned something there that triggered something in my mind. The people that say, um, that's just how I am, it's almost like that's a kind of immaturity because it's like, it's like saying, well, I, I can't change it. Therefore, there's nothing I can do about it. So you will have to accept the, the faults and the flaws that I've got because I can't change myself and it's like well if you can't do it like sure as hell nobody else is going to do it for right. you yep yeah I, I run into that all the time and it's so funny because I mean listen there's no hiding from the fact that I'm 59 years old right I'm almost 60 years old when my dad was 60 he was old okay at 60, I'm I'm still going to electronic music co concerts and I'm yeah. running Ironmans and I'm and I'm and I'm optimistic that that my best days are ahead of me and I'm very fit, and I'm very active yeah. and I'm I'm all of this stuff. Yeah. And I and I run into people all the time that are like, "Oh, you know, like, oh, I could never do that. I would oh, I could yeah. never." It's like, "Well, I'm not doing it to prove anything. I'm just doing it to no. live my best life." And the fact that yes, you're yes. 40 and you think you're too old to go run a marathon, yeah. that's your problem because it's not true. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And just because, you know, uh, you know, that, oh, you, you're doing stuff that young people do. No, I'm doing stuff that I do. I, I, don't, yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. I, right. Yeah. So, so uh, I, I'm, I'm not a big fan of, like, I understand you got to set limitations on what you can and can't do, what you can and can't yeah. accomplish. I know I'm never going to run in the Olympics. Okay. There you mm -hmm. go. That's a limit. I never going to reach that limit. Okay. Sure. But there's a million other things I can do. And I'm, mm -hmm. there's, there's, there, I'm just optimistic that pretty much anything yeah. we set our minds to do, we can do. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't like this. Uh, I'm just a jerk and that's just the way it is. Or I'm just overweight. Mm -hmm. I've always been fat. So I'm just that way. Mm -hmm. Or I'm not an athlete. So why would I ever do any of that? Or I don't like to cook. So I'm never going to be a good cook or I don't care what it is. Yeah. If you, don't like it and you want it to be better, you absolutely 100% can change it. 100%. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really developing a flexibility in mindset because that fixed mindset or the stuckness, the state of stuckness doesn't get anybody anywhere. No. And I don't like the uh, excuse of, of, of oh it's in the past right oh you know i did i i went to listen to a bunch of live music when i was young that's why I, i'm not going to do that anymore that's that's for young people so shut up 
right? <laughs> right? Shut up. So yeah, I missed out on a lot of things when I was younger, but mm-hmm. I did a lot of stuff too. But I don't yeah. frame it that way. I don't look backwards. I, I mean, if we're sure. in a car and we're driving down this endless road, mm-hmm. you got to look ahead, man. You just got to look ahead. Yeah. And eventually, sometimes you're forced to take the exit too early. Some, sometimes. Mm-hmm. Eventually, mm-hmm. you're going to get a flat tire. Just happens. Yeah. Eventually, a deer's going to run across. You're going to kill an animal. I mean, sometimes bad yeah. things happen. You just got to mm-hmm. deal with that. But a lot more bad things can happen if you're looking in the rear mi- mirror. Right. Looking forward. I just feel like you, you know, it's just, it's just what I, I call it. I call, I call it intentionally optimistic. I like to be intentionally Mm -hmm. optimistic. Yeah. I'm I'm not a Pollyanna. I'm not, Uh, I'm not a, you know, I'm I'm definitely a realist, but I'm just intensely optimistic. Like, mm -hmm. Oh, you don't like scary movies. Let me show you a scary movie that you might like. Cause who doesn't like scary movies in general? Mm -hmm. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I don't like fish. Really? Really? Like all fish, you know? Really? <laughs> you know? Like I'm optimistic. There's something out there because two, two billion people eat fish every day. So I'm sure that, you know, for sure, for sure there's something out there that you're going to like. Yeah. Right? Oh, I, yeah. I just, I just don't do this. I just could never be that. I could, oh, I could never get this degree. I could never learn this instrument. No, wrong. Mm-hmm. You can. You absolutely can. Yeah. yeah. So for you coming up, what are the things that you are most optimistic about? Well, it didn't didn't start out this way, mm-hmm. right? Because I was not very optimistic about a lot of things. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'm just optimistic that I can continue to learn. Yeah, you know, I, I can always do better. I can always mm-hmm. uh, be better. I could I could be kinder to myself. You know, I yep. can make better decisions. I could still accomplish things that, you know, I probably had no business thinking I could accomplish. So mm-hmm. I'm just, you know, th- those are some of the things, but I just, uh, I, I think f- framing to me is, is like, if we do have, if we have believed that we have this one life and this is it, and it could be taken away at any time, if you believe that and I don't walk around thinking that all, all day, every day, but I believe that. Mm-hmm. And so if you have a chance to live your best life, if you have a chance to yeah. care about the person in the mirror, if you're a good person and you're doing enough to care about other people and you're trying to be the best you, I mean, geez, like what more is there? Like really what yeah. more is there? So I'm just, all my optimism is wrapped around those thoughts. Love that. That's so beautiful. If our audience would like to reach out to you, what is the best way for them to do it? Uh, you can reach me directly. Um, uh, the good thing about that last book, I uh, certainly can't do this with all books, but with the last book, 100% of the proceeds go to support the cancer organizations that were chosen by the participants of the book. So um, I, I, I interviewed these people for a couple of years, got super deep into their stories, wrote 15 different stories. And then yeah. in between the stories, the narrative of my bike ride, where I went mm-hmm. to go meet them all for the first time. And then right. the people I met along the way and the stopped at some cancer centers and hospitals that kind of stuff and the book is not about cancer it's about the human condition and emotions Mm -hmm. and how we can connect and that type of stuff but 100 percent of the proceeds go to support the cancer focused organizations uh and hospitals and other things that that they chose um and i talk about that on the website i have other books Mm -hmm. i talk about my expressive writing workshops so if you go to cycleoflives.org 
cycleoflives.org or just look up David Richmond and books are available on Amazon. It's the audio book. It's the Kindle book, whatever. Yeah. Noble. In fact, I did a podcast early on when the book came out. I was the sweetest note. This, this, this uh, podcaster was in Scotland and I, and I, and I got a sweet note, an email from somebody who said, I, I've been into five bookstores and I haven't found your book. And I went, Oh my God, how sweet is that? That she, that she wrote me a note saying she wanted my yeah. book. And she actually went into five different bookstores. How sweet is that? <laughs> so I, I sent her a book and we made sure that now we, we got the books in, in the bookstores there. So amazing. That's yeah. so great. Do you think you'll um, keep writing? Are you going to write until you run out of words? Yeah. The, the bummer is that uh, there are more words than there are time. So yeah. I won't ever run out. Uh, I, I'm working on about five or six different books right now. Woof! That's uh, a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. It's, it's a lot. And I'm I'm the proverbial, you know, the the joke. You know who who on the who on the street is the writer, right? You know which one in your neighborhood is the writer, and and and, and you go how how do you know which one's the writer? And you go because their lawn is the best manicured, their house is the cleanest, <laughs> the bridge is the most organized, right? Because they do everything but write. So. Yeah. But I, I try to write every day and and uh, and I work on my projects and hopefully lots and lots and lots of books to come. Yeah, amazing. How have you found the experience of chatting with me today? Awesome. Awesome. Very, very cool. I'm, I'm, I'm really glad we had a chance. Your your questions are great. They're well thought out. Uh, very authentic. Um, I mean, clearly you're out there to try to help people and what's not to admire about that. Yeah, well, thank you. Everything you shared today has been top-notch really good advice super useful stuff um and even for the bits that i've come across in in different paths that i've trodden on before it's always so good to hear this stuff and to hear it from a different voice or said with a different story because it just gets it in there gets it to resonate on a whole other level um yeah and there's some there's some new stuff for me to go out and put into action i really love how um alive you are I don't really know how else to say it but you know the idea of I'm still learning I'm still moving you know if I'm here then I'm doing something with my time really appeals to me and um on a personal level I I think I have a similar sort of disposition but I also have a lot of people in my life who will say can you just sit down for five minutes can you just calm down and it's because I think that you know you get sometimes people are sort of comparing their output to your output and maybe it's making them feel as if it's sort of putting them to shame in some ways and so I always really like it when I meet a like-minded person who's like no no just keep going right (laughs) keep living keep moving you know keep learning uh because i'm of a similar sort of mindset yeah and we forgive people uh who you know who who say oh i could never do this or i can never. Uh, why why is it not okay for you to keep moving and being as busy as you mm-hmm. want to be and be as optimistic and have your hands as, in mm-hmm. as many pies as possible yeah and end up every day completely exhausted maybe that's yeah. the best thing for you yeah that's on- honestly who you want to be excuse me and you're trying to live your best most authentic connected life why why is that not okay yeah i think it is yeah so i'm like that guy who says i'll say to my wife okay can we just have a movie day can we just sit down and watch three movies and do nothing else and then like 20 minutes into the first movie she's like why do you look antsy (laughs) 
<laughs> Relax a little. I'm like, ah, shit. You're right. Oh, thank you, Gemma. I, I really appreciate it. Thanks for doing what you're doing. I appreciate the times. What really, really wonderful talking to you. And let's let's stay in touch and figure out how to how to do this again if it ever makes sense. A hundred percent. All right. What did you think of David? Here are some of my highlights. Um, there was a part towards the end where David said something along the lines of, um, it was about finding out what's on the other side of me because we can all have those conversations in the mirror where we see the person that's right there directly in front of us. But the question is, who's behind all of that? What is on the other side of me? And maybe I'm not a loser. <laughs> now, I'm not gonna say that's the best affirmation. You wanna say, maybe I made something great instead, but certainly reaching that point of realization of maybe I'm not a loser. Maybe I have something more to offer to this life is a really important turning point um, that certainly David went through. I'm sure other people do as well. So uh, overall, here's what I would say. I really love the energy that this man has had and continues to have in his life and the drive and focus that he's applied to his work, his book writing, losing weight, running marathons, running a family that really people like that personally really inspire me i love it when people are like do you know what i'm here i'm on this planet i've maybe only got one shot at this so i'm going to give it absolutely everything i've got and i'm not going to stop until i am exhausted by it and um so he said have your fingers in as many pies as possible and exhaust yourself so that you fall asleep in bed at the end of the day from so much of what you have done throughout that day if that's what you want to do and I think this is very useful and helpful advice so I'm going to wrap it up there I would love to hear your thoughts about the conversation with David I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed having it and I will see all of you guys on the next one take care bye People Building Podcast was produced and edited by Gemma Bailey. You can find out more information about our products and services on peoplebuilding.co.uk where you can also join in the conversation around specific episodes. The information, opinions and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only and any reliance on the information provided in this podcast is done at your own risk. It should not be considered professional advice. Unless specifically stated otherwise, we do not endorse, approve, recommend or certify any information product process service or organization that is presented within the podcast and information from this podcast should not be referenced